Welcome back to episode three of Somewhat Decent Reviews. I'm Molly. I'm Laura. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) We're both drinking a glass of wine. It's Friday. It's Friday today. See, we told you last time we do not record on any kind of schedule. So sometimes it's Monday. Sometimes it's Friday. Today, it's Friday. (laughs) Friday. How was your Friday? Oh my gosh. This week felt like it was 150 years long. So Mm -hmm. I'm ready. I'm ready for a couple days off. Everybody I've been talking to, I'll be like, how's how's it going? Like, how you doing? And everybody's just like, oh, you know, like (laughs) like just nobody's doing that great. I mean, definitely collectively as the pandemic is going on. We're not doing well. We're just collectively not doing well, especially this month. Like January has been hard for, I mean, it's not January. (laughs) Well, it still feels like it is. Winter is a hard month. I can't believe I still thought it was January. It's definitely well into February. I'm really glad that February is a very short month. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready for springtime. But I'm also ready for some freaking somewhat decent reviews. Laura, I know how excited you are. You've been texting me all week excited about this episode. There's so many things you want to talk about. So if you want to take it away, buddy. Let me tell you about this album that I've been listening to. Cool. Um, her name is Allison Russell. You may be familiar with her. Um, she is in another band with her husband, but she just uh, this past last year released a solo album called Outside Child um she's awesome she's like a really cool she spoke at like the women's march in nashville or tennessee it was either women's march in nashville or somewhere else i don't know where but she's like an activist and a singer and she's like a jack of all trades like she does it all you know she's done a lot of different nice things in her life um and she's a really awesome singer so i've been listening to allison russell a lot um and also I mean, by choice, I've been listening to Alison Russell and I really like her album. And I think she like either got nominated for a Grammy on it or won a Grammy. I don't know. I need to what do What kind of music? What kind her, of music is it? Yeah. Great question. Her, um, her music is like folky soul. Nice. She's like, you know, a black woman who's living in the South. Um, and I think definitely draws from folk and draws from like soul predecessors, you know? So she's cool. got like a really cool beautiful voice um her music is definitely soul oriented but it's it's also rooted in folk so it's kind of a cool you don't often hear like soul folk you know so that's kind of nice um nice yeah that's yeah i've been really digging her album and that's what i've been listening to what have you been listening to I've been listening to a bunch of different stuff this week, honestly, trying to find the album that I wanted to review for somewhat decent reviews. And I had a few duds where I was like, you know, I just am not getting into it. But a couple of days ago, I put on Japanese Breakfast's new album. It's Mm -hmm. like new-ish. I think it came out like eight months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called, what is it called? Jubilee. Mm -hmm. Um, And this album's really great. I'm a big fan of Japanese Breakfast. I think that it's just real like calming music. It's kind of ethereal, but also still can get me a little bit amped and a little bit pumped on the day. Mm -hmm. They have this one song that came out a long time ago called, what is it? Face Like Thunder. Mm -hmm. And that song 
was just an anthem for a really long time and kind of got me hooked on them as a band. And so anytime they come out with something new, I want to listen to it. And this was the first time I'd listened to Jubilee all the way through. It was a really nice album to have on while I was just putzing around the house, doing my daily activities, cleaning, working, whatever. Um, Nice background music, some really good songs. It's a pretty short album. The whole album is only about like less than 40 minutes. I think it's 10 songs. So it's not like a giant commitment. It would be almost less time, I think, than like watching a show or listening to a podcast. So yeah, it's pretty fun. I really have enjoyed that album. Do you, have you listened to much Japanese breakfast? Yeah, I actually was excited that you said that. Well, for multiple reasons, but one, because I love Japanese breakfast. Um, My favorite song by theirs is like um, that song, Everybody Wants to Love You. Yeah, I love that one too. Mm-hmm. I just love it. I love that song so much. Um, and it, it is for me, like a kind of like, it gets me excited about, I don't yeah. know. Like, I just can dance around to that song. There is something really hopeful about their music to me in a lot of ways it's and cool. really like uplifting. It's beautiful. It's like, they could be singing about something really sad and I'm still like, Oh, it's so nice. You uh-huh. know, it's yeah. like, Oh, yeah. it's so nice. Yeah. Um, it's cool. I like that. It's also genre bending in some ways. Like it definitely sounds mm-hmm. like in a lot of ways, like your classic indie rock, but in other ways it's, it is kind of, there's elements of pop, there's elements of other genres in it. Um, and I really? like, I like her a lot, Michelle's honor. And, and the book I'm reading is actually written by Michelle's honor. Like the, no way. the lead singer. Yeah. So the book that I'm going to review today is written what? by Michelle's honor, the lead singer of Japanese breakfast. Oh, that is so funny. I had no idea you were even going to talk about that. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's, you know, our minds are linked telepathically in some ways. You know, we both bought tiny bottles of wine. We're both talking about Japanese breakfast. Exactly. You know, let us count the ways. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Well, speaking about listening to things, were you listening to any good podcasts this week? I don't know why I didn't listen to this before because I've always loved them, but um, I started listening to Getting Curious, uh, JVN's Jonathan Van Ness's podcast. Right. Isn't that a show too? Yes. So he, he, they, she just released the show um, and it's good. It's like a cute, it's like a fun show. It's not like a, you know, you don't, you just like kind of put it on as background show. Like I don't necessarily like sit down and I'm like, oh my God, let's watch Getting Curious. But it started because JVN recorded this podcast in starting in 2015. So this podcast is old. Like they've been making the podcast for a while now. Um, and yeah, and they, and I had no idea, like, I know that their podcast is that they're, they're well-known they're, you know, getting, they're famous and they're known for their hairstyling and stuff like that. I had no idea they had a really awesome podcast, but the premise of the podcast is the same as the show. And I actually started listening to the podcast um, because I was looking for some new podcasts and I had just watched the show that just came out. And um, I think I follow them on Instagram and I saw that they posted about their podcast episode and I was like, oh, cool. It's the same. Huh. show. I like the show, but I would actually probably prefer just putting on a podcast and listening to it. Um, yeah. It's the same premise, which is basically J- Jonathan Van Ness um, interviews a bunch of really fucking cool people. Like the one that I just listened to was with uh, Prue from Great British Bake Off. GBBO. GBBO. Yeah, that. I'm a I'm a diehard fan. Yeah, and like Prue's legit, and her style is legit. Anyways, um, they interview people who are well known, and then experts in like a myriad of 
different subjects, like a lot, a lot of different subjects. And one of my favorite things about, like, I've always been like, yeah, Queer Eye is fucking awesome. Like, it's cute. It's very cute. And it's sweet. And I, you know, if you want to cry, you put it on, you cry, you know. (laughs) But one of my favorite things, particularly about Jonathan Van Ness is, um, they are so uh, childlike in their curiosity. Yeah, um, totally. And I love that hearing from people who like are still so excited about learning new things at any age. And I've noticed in my life, like, so my favorite trait, my favorite trait about myself is my curiosity. It's like my saving grace when I'm feeling really down about myself at least I have my curiosity, you know, like yeah. there's that because like, I will never stop being curious. Like I always want to learn. Totally. I'm always really curious about people's lives. I'm really curious about what makes people tick. I'm really curious about learning new things and hearing new things. And Jonathan Venice is the same way. So curious people to the front. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Curiosity or bust. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't talk to me unless you're curious. Yeah. That's like one of those funny things. I feel like, um, like people will always comment on if, if they, if somebody tells me a random fact, I'll be like, really interesting. <laughs> and I 100% will immediately get out my phone because I have to Google it and I have to read everything there is yep. to know about it. And I want to do my own research. And then next time I see that person, I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, you told me this obscure fact. Well, here's 25 other things I learned about that whole thing. <laughs> people are like, why? I was like, yeah. I don't know. I love that about you. Oh, that's funny. Cool. That's a fun podcast. Give it a listen. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to give it a listen. I also kind of want to watch the show. You know, I've I've been like the show keeps popping up on my you should watch on Netflix. I just haven't done it yet. So maybe I'll do it. Um, The podcast I want to talk about is one that I actually mentioned, I think, in our first episode. It's called Poetry Unbound, and it's part of the on being like family of podcasts on NPR. Um, hosted by this guy named Padre Gotuma. And yes, Laura, don't fret. He is Irish. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's he's from Ireland, which is really cool. He's a poet. He's theologian. Is it theologian or theologian? I've never known what this is. Theologian or theologian? Please, um, any of our many fans... record yourself reading that word and (laughs) um so anyways Padre Gotuma he's an amazing poet he's queer he's a gay man um and he works in conflict mediation so for it which is a really cool concept to me right so for a while he worked as the leader of um this community organization called the Corimila community it's Ireland's oldest peace and reconciliation organization. I just think that's really cool because I think as a a people and especially in the U.S. as a society, we are super conflict averse. I don't think that's the case everywhere in the world, but it's definitely the case in the United States. But like conflict avoidant, people don't really want to have and engage in conflict, but really conflict is such a natural and actually healthy part of relationship, business, friendship, partnership, all of those things. So having skills in, um, conflict resolution and all that jazz, I think it's really cool. So anyways, this podcast is really beautiful. He basically each episode will start it off by, well, he introduces himself and then he reads a poem and then he talks about the poem, talks about the poet 
um, kind of gives his own interpretation of it. And then he reads it one more time at the end, which in my opinion, the only way to really dissect a poem is to try it three times, kind of like when you're tasting food, right? The first Mm -hmm. read through is to acclimate yourself to the poem. The second read through is to really listen and hear the words of the poem and interpret what it means. And the third one is to figure out if you like it or not and what you mm. think of it and how the poem feels to you. Mm. So mm. I really appreciate that he does give it at least two read throughs. We get to hear it twice. Um, just this podcast is so beautiful. His voice is so soothing. I mean, something about an Irish accent that's so calming. There's always really beautiful yeah. music that's playing in the background. And oh gosh, I really recommend this podcast. So are you saying that I could put this on when I'm trying to fall asleep and, um, and or meditate? Oh yeah. It would put me to sleep in a really cozy, like warm blanket way. Maybe depends on the poem. I think you could try, you could try to listen to it as you're falling asleep. I think it is pretty meditative. Um, you know, the podcast itself, it's another shorty. I, you know how I like those short ones. So we love a short podcast. Yeah. Episodes can be anywhere from like five minutes to like 12 or 15 minutes, but they're not very long. I recently downloaded a podcast that my brother told me to listen to called Gilmore Guys, which is basically two straight cis dudes uh, reviewing Gilmore Girls episodes and like oh, shit. My God! So this podcast that my brother told me to listen to is like freaking like two hours. I was like, no, no, way. absolutely <laughs> not. Um, I'll give it an hour, but that's it. I'm like, I can't listen to a podcast that's longer than a movie. No. Yeah, no, no thanks. What am I going to do? But you should listen to the first hour, Molly, of like multiple episodes because I think you'll really, really like yeah. it. So that's the podcast. It's really beautiful. I highly recommend giving it a listen. And yeah, loved it. Loved it. <laughs> oh, loved, loved it. it. What did you read, Laura? <laughs> I read Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner, the mm-hmm. lead singer of Japanese Breakfast. Um. I believe that she wrote this book after she was in Japanese breakfast already, but I can't quite tell. She was, the book itself is incredibly beautiful. I highly recommend it. Um, it, uh, it really gets me. I'm still not finished with it, but I'm like three quarters of the way done. Uh, cause I started it earlier in the week. Um, it's a really quick read also it moves quickly and you get really engrossed really fast, but Essentially, Crying in H Mart is a love letter to her mother who died of pancreatic cancer um, in her 50s. And uh, yeah, and her mom died when she was 25. Uh, So still really a young adult. Like this book is just so many things. But um, one of the main things that I really love about this book is that it talks about their relationship through, which is through food. Um, So they cook together a lot. Her mom is a stay-at-home mom her whole life um, and is an immigrant from Korea. Um, And her dad is a white dude from, uh, I don't know where, but they wind up living in Eugene, Oregon, which is not very far from Wow, really Uh, close. Shout out to my friend Presence who lives in Eugene. Michelle's parents meet when her dad is stationed in Korea um, or is in Korea doing a job with the U.S. Army, I think, or something like that. Um, they meet and they fall in love and um, get married, have Michelle, and then her mom moves to Oregon and they wind up lo- relocating to Oregon together as a family. And it's a lot about her relationship with her mother and kind of 
like I said, like this memoir that's essentially like about deep grief and dying and what it's like when you're still kind of growing as an adult yourself and you're faced with this really huge challenge of caretaking a sick parent and caretaking the like main force of like solidity in your life um and force of solidity is kind of a weird (laughs) that's not an expression but um it's really like the force of solidity yeah that'd be a great band name that's my band name my future band um which will be a polka band (laughs) if anybody's interested in playing polka with me a jewish Uh, polka band a jewish polka band exactly (laughs) that's what i'm destined to to be in um anyhow um they have a really amazing relationship because you know she talks about how her mom is an immigrant and her mom's culture is very different from American culture in that like it's she didn't have the mom that was like oh honey you know like taking care of every need want or whim it's like her mom's like you fall like oh you shouldn't have fallen you know like her mom's very tough (laughs) as nails like grit like you get through it you take care of yourself you don't cry like don't cry until I'm you know like just all of these things of she had a tough mom, you know, like her mom was a stay at home mom, but her mom was like very tough on her, very critical. Um, and her mom mm-hmm. was very much like Korean and had her own Korean cultural experiences. And Michelle was very much like straddling two worlds of being white and Korean growing up in right. white America in Eugene, which is not super diverse and, um, feeling like she didn't really fit in as Korean and she didn't really fit in as a white kid because she was too exotic to be white and she was too exotic, too different to be Korean, you know, or considered Korean. One of the things that they do together, one of the things that they agree on and that they really bond on is food and eating Korean food together. And the book, a lot of the book talks about her memories of food with her mom and her mom was a big, you know, cook and eating together buying the food, preparing the food. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm a huge foodie. So for me, it's like very enjoyable to read a book all about food. I'm all over it. Um, it's really heartbreaking and also really beautiful because if you've ever lost someone, you know, just all of the really complex feelings you have around losing that person, having enough time, doing what you want to do with that person, that. your own mortality around in your own thoughts about around mortality and um, how it changes your life. I really recommend this book. Cannot recommend it enough. How long is it? Um, Not super long. It's definitely like, I I would say like 200 pages or less. I could be totally wrong because I'm really bad at like judging like size of things, (laughs) but I think it's like 200 pages. It's my guess. Um, Crying in H Mart, Michelle's Honor. Give it a read. Cool. Yeah. What do you read? Speaking of very emotional books, I oh. finished this week one of your favorite books, actually, Stone Ooh. Butch Blues. Oh, Stone Butch Blues. Yeah. So this yeah. Writ- this book was um what was written in the 90s, very early 90s. Mm-hmm. I believe 93. Mm-hmm. Um, Leslie Feinberg. Oh. It's about someone who it's about a trans experience, but back in the sixties and seventies, you know, back before LGBTQ plus folks had pretty much any rights. Mm -hmm. Um, and it follows this character, Jess through the journey of growing up, feeling ostracized from family and community, 
trying to trying desperately to find community and then seeing that community pretty much just ripped apart and destroyed by the political climate, the mm-hmm. police, um, like police coverage, police surveillance of LGBTQ folks. Um, and it's kind of a survival story of how does this person who really doesn't feel that they fit into the prescribed female gender box or the prescribed male gender box, they don't mm-hmm. fit anywhere and they feel really isolated, really alone. And they, they try to figure out how to survive. Part of that is trying to take testosterone to pass as a man because mm-hmm. they feel that's the only way they're really going to be safe and able to work and build community and have relationships that aren't hidden or under the covers. Um, but this book is, is really beautiful. It's literally heartbreaking. So mm-hmm. if you, um, go in with a box of tissues, you really got to go in with a box of tissues and also content warning. This book talks a lot about assault, a lot about violence, right. a lot about rape, a lot about, um, oh God, pain and suffering and just, uh, it's so good, but right when you really think beautifully written it's too. really beautifully written, it's a love letter to, um, that right. It will. So the main character, Jess, has this partnership that's um, really starts out when they're really young and they're like late teens, early 20s. And it's an incredibly formative partnership where they, for the first time, feel really loved and cared for and seen. But um, the main character is dealing with their own stuff, right? Like they've never been safe to share their feelings. They've never been safe or held in their experience. And so finally, when somebody shows up who wants to do that, they don't know how to let that person in because they've never been safe doing it before. Right. So the relationship is challenging and the relationship suffers because both parties are dealing with their own existence and their own place in the world and the reality of things. And, you know, it, gosh, it's really beautiful. I really highly recommend it. Um, if you kind of want to maybe understand a little bit more about queer history in the U S if you want to understand a little bit more about trans history, if you want to get a, I mean, and this book air quotes, not an autobiography, but mm-hmm. feels very autobiographical. Yeah. Like yeah. I would go as far as to say as it is pretty much yeah. an autobiography of this person's experience. Right. And I think, I think Leslie Feinberg has spoken to that in, um, interviews, I believe. Yeah. Post writing the book, but yeah, um, definitely it seems very, very autobiographical. Um, one yeah. question I had for you, um, I know for myself, the part of the book. I mean, I identified with lots of parts of the book, even though I'm not trans. Um, but one of the things that was really beautiful about the book was that amidst all this pain and suffering that they go through, you know, just being a trans person in the sixties is, um, uh, the love letter that the way that they talk to their partners, you know, um, the, the book starts off with a love letter when they're at like their lowest point kind of, but it's a love letter to this person, Teresa, I think I could be wrong. Right. But, um, no, it is. Teresa's correct. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. It starts off with a love letter to Teresa and it's just like this beautiful unfolding of, of a love letter that also is like part 
personal memoir, but in short form, you know, it's like a yeah. really gorgeous, like beautiful love letter. Um, and right. <laughs> that just like immediately, I was like, that's such a cool way to start off a book is with a love letter. Um, I totally. And it's funny. It's funny too, because when you start it and it starts off with that love letter, you first read the love letter and then it dives right into this person in like middle school or high school. Right. And you're kind of like, wait, what? I'm like, confused. oh, I'm, I'm not following. But as um, Jess's journey unfolds and you get to know the characters that they're talking about in that letter, you're like, oh, wow, cool. And it's yeah. kind of a cool I think it's a cool technique in writing because it's almost a grounding mechanism, right? So as I met Teresa, I could go back and read that love letter again. And yeah. then as their relationship ended, I could go back and read that love letter again. And then when I finished the book and I like closed, you know, the book, the way it ends too, it's very much like that character keeps going, yeah. but I stop watching. Right. And that's cool. Like I get the vibe. There is not, it's the story does not have any tied up bow, like succinctness. Right. What we do see is this person who was really scared, really insecure, really unsure, really um, self-conscious and didn't feel empowered at all. What we see through the, the novel is them really coming into their own, stepping into their power, realizing they're worthy of love and affection, realizing they're worthy of relationship, becoming politically activated, standing up for LGBTQ rights, standing up for trans rights, especially people who, um, I think in this time too, we're, we're talking about, um, feminism and like the postmodern feminism, right? Where it was frowned upon to be femme. And if you were really femme, then you were betraying feminism because only feminists could wear, have their legs not shaved and wear yeah. flannel and be kind of uh, walking that line of the stereotypical gender identity. And I think the character really advocates for there's a place for everyone and there's room for all of us in the movement. And I like right. that. Yeah, I think that is a really cool element to it. I was, that was kind of, I guess that kind of answered my question, but I was going to ask like, what were your, what was the, th the part of the book that drew you in the most, you know, or that made you feel related, that you related to the most? Because for me, it was that love letter and that beginning really drew me in and I continue to read and yeah. enjoy it and feel relation to it and like really identify with the character and characters in the book. So for me, it was actually a really challenging um, book to get through. And I'll be honest, I started this book months ago. Mm -hmm. I think it was almost a, like last summer. Mm -hmm. I started it after um, a friend gifted it to me and I, I put it down because I am a freaking cancer Venus. I'm very mm -hmm. sensitive. I am very, very influenced by media and things that I read and watch. And when something is traumatic, I, um, I like feel that and it yeah. sticks with me and I'll have dreams, dreams about it and whatnot. So I had to take breaks from it periodically, but the part that really drew me in, and I don't want to give too much away in case people do want to mm -hmm. read this book and they want to be a little bit surprised. But um, at one point, I think it's almost halfway to three quarters of the way through this book, Jess makes a really big change in their life. They decide to move. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment where I was like, oh yeah, because I did that too. That was the thing, the thing that I related to the most was growing up in one place and moving somewhere and starting fresh I like that.
yeah. So that was really what drew me in, but I highly recommend that book. Um, it's hard to find. You have to order the copies used and they can go anywhere from $50 to $150 for a copy, but it's available to download. There is a PDF that's available to download. So if you don't mind reading on a screen, you can download the PDF and um, read it that way. And it's free. Mm -hmm. So, or if you're a uh, used bookstore hound, you often can find copies, older copies at used bookstores, but it's not a widely, yeah. it's not like they made like many, many, many printings. So that's why it's more of a rare book. You probably can't find it at any thrift stores in the Portland area. No, yeah. Not in Portland because there's too many queers trying to buy it. Or San Francisco. Yeah. Don't push your luck, but maybe in the Midwest. Yeah. What have you been watching? I have been kind of diving into um, a series that's in season three now. Um, it's based off a book, book series by Deborah Harkness called The Discovery of Witches. This is a series you and I have both yeah. read and we both really love. Um, <laughs> so I loved the books. I really did love the books. Highly mm -hmm. 10 out of 10 recommend the books. I do not, however, recommend watching this show unless you have read the books or you happen to be somebody who is really good at paying attention to every detail and following okay. things meticulously close. And I, yeah. I literally cannot pay attention to that carefully to things like this. I am easily distracted. I have a hard time processing information that comes at me very fast. So I have read these books and I'm a little lost in what's going on in the show right now. However, fun show, really lots of action, some really great um, characters. We It's cool because it bounces around um, in time periods, kind of a little bit like Outlander style of you get to see them in modern times and then they go back in time and then they come back to the future. Um, obviously, as the title Discovery of Witches tells you it is a show slash book series about magic um magical creatures to be precise we have witches check traditional witch powers we have vampires check. traditional vampire powers and then we have demons check they are like the savants of the world. So if you're a demon you're probably an amazing politician or an exquisite composer or a really talented artist of some sort like they're just um really 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 talented empowered people um and this story is basically about how over time these three creatures as they call themselves have really divided amongst themselves and witches don't mix with anybody else and vampires stick to themselves and demons only hang out with demons but um, this book is, the book series is really about how we are stronger together, how fraternizing with each other is okay and actually can make us stronger and teach us lessons. So that's really what the book series and the show is all about. Um, I feel like there's a political but, metaphor there. Oh. United we stand. United we stand. What did you watch this week, Laura? Um, I watched, I've been watching uh, season two of Euphoria. Uh, uh watched, of course uh, yep i watched season one uh not based off of a book but uh definitely a tv show uh it's on hbo um starring zendaya um and a bunch of other people uh and yes eric dane and 
all those folks. Um, Barbie, Barbara Ferreira. Barbara for Barbie, Barbie Ferreira. Barbie Ferreira. Yeah, Barbie Ferreira's in it. We love. Um, they're awesome. Yeah, and Hunter Schaefer. Uh, oh my god, actress. Um, yeah, the show is uh interesting. Season one, I really liked, and uh, it's a different type of show about the high school kids because it's all about a drug, a high school kid who's a drug addict. Uh, Rue is the main character. Um, she lives with her mom and her sister. Her dad died of cancer very recently when the show starts. Um, and it kind of opens with her coming back to life after overdosing and having a pretty horrific overdose and her surviving an overdose. And because wow. her, her sister finds her like barfed up on the floor. Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's scary. And it's right off the bat, you know, like this is not going to be a happy go lucky show it's very dark yeah uh it's very much about like the underbelly so to speak of like teenage drug use and life in middle of nowhere although i think it's weird because the show california right i think the show takes place in like a suburb of la is the vibe i get yeah so i get it i get the vibe that it's still like a suburban area but that it's like near to a big city especially with the types of drugs that she does although you know nowadays you can get drugs anywhere so oh gosh anyways rue is a uh, drug addict who's air quotes in recovery but like it's mm-hmm. comes becomes very clear that she's not and and she relapses a lot and that it's a struggle for a long time but it's all about her relationships with her friends um her love interests and her navigating all of this while super fucking high or trying to get high or trying to recover from being high um, and how she is a really textbook in a lot of ways addict and it's also really hard it's really sad because it follows all of the people that are surrounding her I definitely feel like if you're triggered by drug use or if you have an addict in your life you don't need to watch this, watch the show because it'll make you even more depressed than you already are. But yeah. um, if you're, if you're uh, somebody like me who has been in with and dates addicts, then uh, it's something that you're like, Oh, yep. I know that. I know what that's yeah. like. And it's a little bit validating in certain ways. Uh, it's one of the shows that um, I watched season. I think I watched like half of season one and same I was like I was pretty affected by it and so I I had to put a pause on it and I haven't Mm -hmm. come back to it yet I keep saying I will and I want to and everybody's talking about it recently it's like such a hot button topic talking about euphoria and I feel a little left out but at the same time I'm like wow I I just do not know if my mental health can take it right it's very uh it can be very uh challenging to watch and I definitely feel like at times I'm like um but you know it's interesting I definitely would not call it lighthearted. um season two kind of picks up with all the characters from the last season who are all in various myth in the midst of various struggles like it's city it's like not a pleasant life that a lot of them are living and a lot of there's a lot of lying and deceit and there's also a lot of I mean it is validating in a certain way to watch because it's like very real about how high school kids are not okay you know and like I don't know if anybody I don't really know anybody who was a high school kid that was doing all right you know like high school kids deal with a lot of shit and it's not all fucking rom-coms and like sweetness in my high school and 
amongst my people, like close people, I don't know any high schooler who was like not really fucking depressed or really anxious or like me got pregnant at 14 or like, you know, like, I don't know, like doing drugs, drinking, you know? It's interesting too, because I think that's just kind of the case across the board. And you and I have talked about this a little bit, how you went to a high school where my, my entire K through 12 high school was probably like the size of one class at your high school. I went to a teeny, tiny, tiny school, graduated with like 40 people. Um, and even at my high school, every high schooler has their shit. And it's like, doesn't matter what the size of your high school is or where you are when you're between the ages of like 15 and 18, it Mm -hmm. sucks. It sucks. It's a hard time in life. Um, and your parents are also often struggling uh, at this aging yeah because you can see all the all the problems that they you're starting starting to realize how fucked up your parents are and no offense my parents are great and perfect but (laughs) in case well yeah I mean but you do start to realize oh my gosh these people are actually just humans and they've never raised a kid before and they've never raised a me before so obviously they're gonna fuck up and I am going to receive the trauma of that fuck up as my mom always says you know, just try and, you know, all you got to do is when you're having kids is just try not to fuck them up more than your parents fucked you up. And I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> a, that's a grim thought, but yeah, that's, that's a good, oh, good gosh. Thought, you know, just try not to fuck them up more than your parents did. So um, that's yeah. her uh, rule of thumb for raising children. Euphoria <laughs> is really cool in that it's shot, it's shot like a music video pretty much all the time. And it's, it's a little jarring. It's a little over the top. Um, and I think that they do that because I think the director, I think his name is Sam Levinson, I, the creator of the show and the director or showrunner, essentially not director, but showrunner. So he like, you know, writes and has the final say on everything on the show. Sam Levinson, I think it's a loosely autobiographical show, even though the main character wow. Drew is a, like a girl or a young woman. Um, uh, I, he was a, I think, what from what I gather reading articles about him like a young high school drug addict in LA area and had yeah. a lot of these experiences are from his life um and people wow. that he knew and you know that whole like live fast die young mentality that he had growing up um and so I think in order to appeal to the Gen Z and like younger millennial crowd they're like we have to make this show like extremely dynamic um, because a lot of, I think Gen Z is not like super hooked on like movies, like we were growing up or like, yeah. you know, their, their world I think is mostly, I, I can't speak to this cause I'm not from Gen Z, but like their world is online. Just think about how media has changed. I think when yeah. we were young, we didn't have like TiVo or DVR or Hulu or Netflix. So we watched shows when they aired on TV. And the only thing that we could have somewhat like control over how we were watching was movies. So we would buy a movie on VHS or DVD, and then we would be able to put that in and determine what we were watching. Or we'd rented a blockbuster. Or we rented a blockbuster. Yeah, exactly. And I think like it wasn't until Netflix and Hulu and all that started becoming really popular that people would like binge shows and right. shows became like movies. Do you remember when Netflix was a DVD postal service where you would pay for Netflix like a certain amount a month and they would send you three DVDs a month? Do you yeah, remember dude. that? Yeah. Yeah. 
that isn't that weird they don't no, do that at all anymore no they you don't can't, like- i totally kind of forgot that that was a whole part of their initial business plan was yeah. like blockbuster but from your living room yes exactly. you would get these little freaking oh my god you would get these dvds in these like papery envelopes it would yep. just be a disc in an envelope and you'd get it Oh my God. And I was really into that because, you know, I love online shopping. So I was cool. I got to pick out my DVDs and then they'll come in like a week. You know, definitely there was no Amazon at that time. So you, or if Amazon was around, like I know. It took forever. Yeah. Yeah. So it took forever. You get it like a week later in the mail and you'd be like, cool, my three movies for the week. And then you- right. And like, hopefully nobody else in town is watching the one that you wanted to watch because you wouldn't be able to get it yep. until that person returned it. Exactly. Oh, God. And then, and then also I remember towards like the end of my subscription with them, I remember just the DVDs often would be like scratched and then you'd have to like report a problem to Netflix and like, you'd oh have to God. go online, access your account, which was pretty rudimentary and be like, my DVD was scratched. <laughs> I'm pretty sh- I like, they must be really grateful that they don't have to deal in DVDs anymore oh it's God, all yeah. just online <laughs> oh god and I remember the feeling of like sh- bummer town when you'd be like fuck my dvd scratched I know I can't watch one of my three yeah one of my three dvds oh my well god. speaking of dvds bud what movie did you watch this week okay yes um I sent you a photo earlier today uh didn't okay. really explain much to you can you open your text messages and look at this yeah let me let me check out this photo that you've sent me I did get a glimpse and I was a little alarmed yeah okay Uh, (laughs) while you're looking that up the movie is called bottle shock and it was made in 2008 tell me what you see yeah okay well um I don't know what this guy's name is we all know him though Chris Pine Chris Pine he is looking at the camera. He's got some shaggy, long blonde hair. He's wearing a brown velvety coat with a nice paisley shirt. What era would you place him in? I would place him in like the, I don't know, 70s. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah. he's from the 70s. He looks like he's, I see somebody in the background who's wearing a cap. So is there anything that you notice about his appearance that like stands out to you where you're like, well, that's a wig for sure. <laughs> the clap for you. He's looking at the camera like this, like, well, Hey, yeah. is something going on over there. Hey. Yes. So this is okay. Chris Pine as Bo. His name is Bo. Uh, I don't know. I can name. see that. I forget what his last <laughs> name is in the movie. He's a Bo. Um, I'm yeah. glad that you pointed out that he's wearing a wig because I have not seen a movie. I can't remember the last time I saw a movie where uh, the hair and makeup department did a worse job. Oh my God. This wig is horrendous. And I think even Legolas's wig is better than this. Legolas's wig, Legolas. Was perfect. Legolas's wig is better, much better than this. I had a crush on Legolas for that hair. Oh, fuck yeah. We all loved Legolas. Legolas was like the first gender bending elf that like... (laughs) I we all loved Legolas. Yeah. If you loved Legolas, and you're gay now. You're gay now. <laughs> exactly. Thanks. Um, but yeah, this is Bo. Um, please Google Bottle Shock Bo or Chris Pine in Bottle Shock because this wig is fucking out of control. Like it's not bad. good. It's bad. It's like very, very, very I, you could not be more obviously wearing a wig. Um, and so right off the bat. I started this movie really excited about watching this movie because it's a, a based on a true story about the 
Napa and Sonoma in the 70s and the very beginnings of like the big breakthrough in California wine. And as you know, I am from the Bay Area. I'm not from Napa or Sonoma, but I grew up very close to wine country and always, you know, like knowing that like Napa and Sonoma made the best wine, that like California wine, it was a huge deal. And it was like right near where I lived. Um, so this is, and this movie takes place at a time in the seventies in California, there was like a huge food movement that was going on. So all of the sustainable food that we taught that we're used to right now, like a lot of that started the sustainable food movement started in California in the seventies. And it started specifically in the Bay area in, in the seventies and the outer Bay area. So Napa, Sonoma, Berkeley, Oakland, like all yeah. of this all of these people, like the Alice Waters and like that kind of stuff. Um, it all started in the seventies in California. So for me, like when I saw this movie, I was like, fuck yeah. Like a seventies nostalgia movie about fucking Napa and like the wine industry. Right. And cool. I started watching it and immediately I was just, I was like, oh cool. All-star cast. This movie has Alan Rickman in it. Fucking Snape oh, and wow. Harry Potter. If you don't know him, he's been in a bunch of RIP. RIP. He died, but he was in love. Love actually. Very um, cliche British actor right up there with like exactly. Colin Firth and that whole crew. Totally. Yeah. A little older than him, but yeah, absolutely. He died sadly, but he's a great actor. I love Alan Rickman's comedic timing. Alan Rickman's character is a Englishman who lives in France and is a huge wine snob and is very uh, into French wine and owns, I think either owns a wine shop or like hangs out in a French wine shop every day and he decides to go to California because he is having a taste testing a big taste testing competition of all these like French wines and he's heard that California is making good wines and he's kind of like scoffing about it he's like yeah right and then he winds up through time like figuring out that it's legit so he goes to Napa and he meets this guy, Bo, whose dad runs a winery that's like failing, but they make incredibly good wine, but obviously they're not business people. So, and it's the seventies and the wine biz, wine country is just kind of starting up. And so there's just kind of like these poor winemakers um, and Alan Rickman tries their wine and is like blown away. And uh, long story short, they enter into a wine competition, this one in France, they mm -hmm. wind, up, wind up going to France um, to compete in the competition and it's a blind testing from all these French judges and they fucking win the California no way. wins. So it's like this underdog story about California wine as it's coming up and like new and how it beat out the French like ages old competition. Now cool. this movie has Bill Pullman, Alan Rickman, Chris Pine, um, a bunch of other well-known like Eliza Dushku that actress who's in a bunch of like weird early aughts movies um it's kind of like a really star-studded cast and it's just so bad oh no <laughs> I just really and one of the main things that makes it bad is you can't fucking watch the movie without like agonizing over this wig it's so oh. bad it completely pulls you out of the story why would they do that it's so frustrating it's 2008 I know. Find a blonde actor or just make his hair not blonde. I it's know, fine. Freaking dye his hair and have it short. Jesus Christ. Um, or like wow. give him sideburns or I don't know something. But Molly, this wig was so bad that Chris Pine is quoted afterwards in our interviews. He's quoted as saying that he'll never wear a wig again after that movie. Yeah, I can imagine. That wig looks not only horrible, but also uncomfortable. Like it looks like it's from a wig shop on a back road in a city where yep. it's like made of a plastic material and it's a dusty ass wig yep 
Yeah, that's not great. Maybe he got it out of his high school drama department. I know. Honestly, he can't even tuck it behind his ears. It's that bad. That's so rough. It's, it's so rough. Poor guy. Um, yeah, poor guy. Anyways. <sighs> Dang. It sucks because it's such a cool topic too. And, right. you know, that's like such a beautiful part of the country and also like a really cool story. And you wish this, that this movie would be good. So it would yeah. actually like. And we're both winos and we love, we we do. love California wine and, you know, I'll drink wine from anywhere, but I, I'll drink wine from anywhere, <laughs> especially <laughs> love my California wine. Um, yeah. It's just like one of those things where like, I fuck, I love Bill, Bill Pullman too. Bill Pullman, yeah. not familiar. I don't know why you wouldn't be familiar with Bill Pullman, but he's in Independence Day. He plays the uh-huh. president in Independence Day who gives the best speech ever. Um, what was he in? He played the dad in Casper. Yeah. <laughs> also a good good bad movie so yeah I really wanted to like this movie and I was yeah. I was just the whole time I was just kind of like oh man really because the dialogue is not great either it's a little chunky the dialogue it's not super realistic but the story itself is very endearing and like the yeah. acting is good because there's good actors in it but then the, it's just badly written and the oh. hair and makeup totally fucking failed and so yeah, don't uh, watch Bottle Shock, but yeah, so uh, not not a recommend. Okay, don't recommend it. Sad. Well, darn. So do watch, watch that, I guess, if you want to critique really bad hair and makeup. Yes. Um, I watched this this week. I watched this funny movie called Ride the Eagle, <laughs> and okay, okay. So this movie um, stars Jake Johnson, who people probably will best know as Nick Miller from New Girl. He plays like um, Zoe Deschanel's main love interest in New Girl. So obviously he's hilarious. He's really funny. He, um, this really playful kind of childlike, silly, almost stupid at times humor, which I really like. It's also starring Susan Sarandon. I love her. But those two are basically like the two characters of the movie. And this whole movie takes place where he is this young man he's probably well I mean he's probably in his mid to late 30s I think he's about 37 or 38 and he is a musician he plays like the bongos and the drums and whatever um and he has his mom but she kind of I guess abandoned him when he was like 12 or 13 years old to join this religious cult and he was like I'm not interested and so she basically left him when he was pretty young and he um sort of was like okay fine well f you i never want to talk to you again and he completely like he completely detached himself from her and didn't have a relationship with her at all and the movie opens up with him finding out that his mom has just died the mom is susan sarandon um and apparently over the last years of her life she'd been trying to reconnect with him she'd been trying to reach out but he was like nah dude like you gave up your right to be in my life when you left me right Mm -hmm. um But then he finds out that she's died and she has left him her cabin and like everything in it. And in order for him to actually inherit the cabin, there are contingencies. His mom has left him basically a list of stuff that he has to do before he can inherit this cabin. Okay. And I know what you're thinking. This sounds like really cliche, kind of stupid, like, oh, you have this list of stuff you have to do before you can inherit this cabin. I was actually thinking that this sounds like right up your alley. Like you would, it's a right up my alley. dude. love doing this list. Oh yeah, totally. But also this list is pretty dumb. You know, it's kind of like, like imagine 
what you, in your imagination, if you were going to watch a movie where someone who has passed on has left a list for their kid to do, I want you to paddle into a lake and talk about your feelings to the wind. So that's, that part is dumb, but the way that the character does it, it's hilarious. So he'll read this item on the list and he'll be like, really? really? You want me to do that? This is stupid. And so then he'll be out there and he'll be like, well, uh, so I guess I'm feeling like you're dead and that kind of sucks. And then somebody will walk up and like interrupt him. And he's like, oh, hey, yeah. Well, uh, okay. Like, it's just, so there's like some really kind of quirky, funny parts. Um, so this is one of those movies where God, I would recommend if you're interested in watching it, don't watch the trailer because there's very little that's going on in this movie. Mm. And there is one kind of mysterious plot point. But if you watch the trailer, that one mysterious plot point is completely given away. So don't oh. watch the trailer if you want any kind of mystery or intrigue in the movie at all. Damn. Um, yeah, this movie is a comedy. I, why do trailers do that nowadays? Like 90s trailers, 90s trailers were like a fucking acid trip of like, you didn't know what to expect or barely knew what the movie was about. You had no idea what the movie was about. And now you see every part of the movie and all yeah. the lines. They're like, don't worry. We won't leave anything up to the imagination. Yeah. This is the entire movie. So watch it if you want to, but you don't have to. Yeah. So that's kind of what the trailer's like. One thing I appreciate about this movie is that sometimes I think movies that talk a lot about death and coming to terms with losing somebody can put like um, some kind of uplifting element. Like there's a romance story that happens or there's some intense life lesson that's learned. And this movie doesn't really do that too much. I like that. Me too. This movie is really just about this guy realizing, oh, shit, like my mom's gone. Like, that's okay, right? Like people, people die and that is a reality. And yeah, it sucks that I didn't prioritize time with her while she was still here. And also like, I can't dwell there. I can move forward and like move on with my life and let go of that part of me and know that my mom loved me and I loved her in the way that I knew how while she was here and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I appreciated that part of the movie. It's a comedy. You won't cry. Mm-hmm. You won't, you won't be sad. Really. It's no. funny. Susan Sarandon leaves a bunch of videos oh my God. for her son. So basically our only interaction with Susan Sarandon is watching her um, on like a camcorder recorded video where she's like talking to him and she'll be like, say this word. And then he'll say it. And then she'll be like, say it. Oh my God. Say it. And he's like, I already did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that Susan Sarandon is a really good comedic actress. Like she she is, she's underrated as a comedic actress, or maybe she's, I don't know. I, I think that she's underrated as a comedic actress and I think she should be in way more movies. Um, and she was in a lot of movies back in the day. And now that she's a little older, I think she's kind of just like chilling, but I would watch her all day, every day. I am going to review eventually a movie. That's one of my favorites. That's called the meddler that she is in. And it's also a comedic role. Um, that's for a different time, but yeah, that sounds, she's great. Something about her is so comforting. Mm -hmm. She reminds you of someone you already know. Totally. Yeah, totally. Well, you should definitely watch it. It's called Ride the Eagle. The name does not make sense. How do I watch it? 
you can watch that. I think it's on either Netflix or Hulu, but it's free. So just uh, type right. in on those things, type in Ride the Eagle. The price is right. It's free. It's good. It's like an hour and a half. It's it's a pretty chill, um, engaging, will hold your attention video. But yeah. Love it. Yeah. So we got some good reviews, some not so good reviews, but all around pretty decent. Somewhat decent. Make of it what you will. Yeah. Um, any uh, recommendations? If you're uh, one of our two fans, um, please record or send us a video of your referrals. Uh, we, we're taking referrals, which means that you're referring us to a book, movie, podcast, or film that uh, movie. No, podcast or TV show is what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, if you want to review something, go ahead and record it. Or you want to, if you want to recommend something to be reviewed, let us know. I like the word referral better, but okay. refer us. Yeah. Referral. You know, I also will add if you are someone who is interested on getting fired up about a certain show you list watched or an album you listen to, and you want to come on to the podcast to talk about a specific show, movie, podcast, mm-hmm. album, etc. You know, just slide into our Instagram DMs. Our proverbial doors are open, you know? Our proverbial doors are open. Um, yeah, so just to remind everybody, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Instagram at Somewhat Decent Reviews. You can also find us on Gmail at Somewhat Decent Reviews at gmail.com. Drop us an email. Drop us an email. Shoot us a DM. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Let us know what you think. That's all. That's all we have for you tonight. That's all we've got. That's all, folks. That's all we wrote. This has been Somewhat Decent Reviews with Laura and Molly. Thank you for tuning in, and we can't wait to catch you for episode four. Toodaloo.